Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about bagels, games, and we have part one of our interview with Charlotte Hill, OBE from The Phoenix Project. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of The Kindness Project. Ooh. I'm joined by two blokes. Uh, one of them's sitting here with a mysterious bit of paper that he's drawn a single black mark on. Uh, and the other one, I think, is equally as confused as I am. What about this piece of paper? Yeah, this piece of paper is the answers to the game show that I promised you last week. Bagel or curry. <laughs> Shall we kick off by playing the... Uh, it needs jingle, though, Charlotte. Bagel curry jingle? See, I think in sort of like 80s TV show fashion, it doesn't need a jingle so much as it needs an entire audience to say, Bagel! Bagel. Oh, Russ can be the audience. I mean, he's a participant as well. So, hi, guys, and today here's another exciting round of... Bagels or curry? You've got to do it in unison. Try again. Ladies and gentlemen, here's another exciting round of bagels or curry. Ladies and gentlemen, here is another exciting round of bagels or curry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's another exciting round of. Bagels. No, he's not doing it. <laughs> he's not doing it. He's got, you've got to do it in unison. Right, do it slowly so you can... Well, I'll tell you what, I'll lead it. Ladies and gentlemen, here's another exciting round... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here is another exciting round of bagels. Or curry. No, oh, you did it too quick. <laughs> No, it's supposed to be bagels. Oh, curry! Ladies and gentlemen, here's another exciting round of bagels or curry. Much wouldn't even bother doing it that time. Ladies and gentlemen, here is another exciting round, exciting round of bagels or curry. <laughs> All right, love that. So I've got a name of. I've got some restaurants. Names of restaurants in either. New York or London Town. Yeah. They could either be bagel places or curry places. And we're gonna um we're gonna alternate the um questions. Charlotte's gonna go first. She gets the choice. If she gets it right, she gets a point. If she gets it wrong, Raj, you get a point, right? Feel free to distract each other. Put each other off, do what you need to. I could just close the tab and disappear off, and that would be... Yeah, but then, but then even if you've got it wrong, you'd still get the point. Um, right, okay. First one to Charlotte. Good things, is it? Bagel or curry? <laughs> Delayed reaction, Russ. Good things, is it? Bagel or curry? Bagel. Good things is a bagel place. <laughs> so that's 
Charlotte's one point. Are we ready? We're ready. Are we ready? Black seeds. Is that bagel or curry? Is that my turn now? Yeah. It's curry. Unfortunately, Russ, black seed is bagel. So that's two. That's two for Charlotte, one for Russ. <laughs> Speaking of Russ, the next restaurant is called Russ and Daughters. Is it bagel or curry? Russ and Daughters. Curry. Curry. It's a good game, isn't it? It's actually bagel. Why are you keeping bagel? It's actually bagel. You never know. BB. BB. B-I-B-I. Russ, this is your opportunity to equalise. Is it? Bagel. Oh, curry. Why are you looking despairingly at the camera? I reckon it's curry. Sorry, you reckon BB is curry? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. It's curry. Well done. <laughs> Charlotte. Brilliant. Is that Russ? No, no, curry. Brilliant. Uh, curry. It is curry, Russ. It's three one. Uh, is it Charlotte? Me? No, is it? No, 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 no. You've got to do the thing for Russ. You're the you're Russ's audience. Is it? Bagels, oh, curry. Bagels. Do you want it spelled? No, no, bagels. It's bagels. It's three. Oh. Zadars. Is it bagel or curry? How's that spelled? Z a uh, Z. Sorry, Zabars. Z a b a r. Curry. No. Yeah. Oh, it's not really the first answer. Yeah. Sorry. It's actually bagel. Russ, you're in the ladies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey. 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 You're right. That is five three. Hoppers, Charlotte. Is hoppers bagel or curry? Curry. Four five. Um Papos. P A P O. Is that bagel or curry, Russ? Bagel. It's bagel. <laughs> oh. Dishroom. Is that bagel or curry? As in dishroom. Dishroom. Curry. That's curry. Bagels aren't really a dish, they're a 
singular food item? It's, it's six, five. Last one for you, Russ. And this is the difference between you winning or an equal game. Brigadiers. Is that... Bagels or curry? Bagels. Oh, it's Gary! Your paper. Thank you. <laughs> I reckon Charlotte um, would best at the bagels and curry. Well, it's, it's equal. Um, uh, so, I'm happy to concede. So, no, you can't, <laughs> you can't concede. Okay. But here is the, uh, here is according to some rando website, what what do you reckon's got the best come uh, curry in the world? What country? Indonesia. No, India. India, the home of curry, Russ. Clearly has the best curry. Apparently, Britain's got second. Yeah. But the tiebreaker and the winner of global curry. What country? comes third in this random internet survey of the world's best curry Thailand Thailand what are you going for us Pakistan oh not a bad choice actually not a bad choice according to this random internet search the answer is Thailand. Never, so, I've never had a bad Thai green curry. Well, Thai curry is amazing. Um, so the winner, the inaugural winner <laughs> of uh, bagel versus curry. Well done, done, Charlotte. Well done, Charlotte. Well done. Right now, Russ has got to run the next quiz. What are the, what's the rules of the next quiz, Russ? I've had no way. I'll have to do some planning. Oh, you're going to do some planning? Yeah, but I'll work something out. So for the next episode... I'll give them a bit more time than the next episode. Yeah, you know I'll what we should do? It. You know what we should do? Like random game shows, like Pointless and... Well, Bagel versus Curry's a bit pointless, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, we'll. I'll let you... You cannot, no, I'm not letting you pick a format that already exists. Oh, no. You've got to pick a brand new game show format. And 
it's not a hard, high bar to jump, let's be honest. <laughs> it's got to be better than Bagel versus Curry. Don't sell yourself short. Bagel and Curry versus Curry was pretty good. I thought it was all right, actually. I thought Bagel versus Curry was quite a, quite a good crack. So, we'll Bagel be- in the next episode tomorrow. You've got plenty of time. Um, <laughs> right to space. Um, shall we? So you read my protest is so I thought we were recording it right after we recorded this one. I was like, yeah, yeah, we give him a day. Um, on that note, let's move on to. Carry on with the news and still until you press the set till when it pops up. <laughs> That was a weird laugh, then interspersed with a whack and the standard, according to Brown Breaking Research. Mounting research shows there's a lot more to being kind than meets the eye, and just a little bit goes a long way. People who go above and beyond to practice kindness are happier and have better mental and physical health than those who don't spend as much time supporting others. Kindness builds happiness as and well-being. Job seekers are more likely to apply for a job posting that lists kindness as an important value of the company. And loving kindness meditations improve memory recall and people recovering from depression. The link list between kindness and employee happiness. In a recent collaboration, kindness.org commissioned Beacon 1802 to survey 1,307 employees. Yeah, we know the Advertising at the time, so. uh, 1,365 employees from six well-established companies, including Alta Beauty, Pura Vida, Nestor, Michigan University College of Arts and Letters, oh, oh, University College of Arts and Letters and Tracker. Did he say that? Yeah. Well, so, directly, Four key findings emerge. Being kind to your partners in the workplace, that's quite good, isn't it, Buzz? What do you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> he says it's Kindness at work is a bigger predictor of happiness than income. Feeling valued is one of the biggest contributors of workplace happiness. Yeah. And doing purposeful work is linked to happiness at work. As we spend... So much of our adult lives at work, we believe fostering environments of kindness uh, in the workplace will have positive ripple effects in all aspects of life. I absolutely agree. Brett Ridge, co-founder of Beat 1802, told me, creating the first of its kind, scientific digital for companies to make their kindness is a crucial first step. And this groundbreaking research demonstrates its importance. I I firmly believe that kindness in work is vital. Um, and actually, in a in an environment where you're looking at, like, as employees, you're looking at differentiators between different workplaces, a good culture in an office is going to be else. So, yeah, love, love that story. And love the fact that kindness.org, um, I can't even remember, we interviewed them ages ago, didn't we? We, we right. interviewed them on the, the first year we was going, and then we had them back. Yeah. <laughs> Melissa and... Yeah, the, guy, the, guy, 
Well, I, not only not only did we um, not only did we interview them, I actually finished the college project book with a quote that they gave me, so memorable, which was all about what would our lives look like if we were a little bit ten percent kinder. And I think, as a philosophy, you know, we when we think about kindness as a concept. Um, we haven't got to change our lives to incorporate more kindness in lives. All we need to do is just work out ways that we can be a little better every now and again. I, I absolutely love that. Um, we've got an amazing guest this week, a lady called uh, Charlotte Hill. She's the uh, MD of the Felix Project, and they basically feed, uh, provide millions of meals a year to people who need it all over London. Um, I'll, I'll let Charlotte do all the talking on this one because she's just absolutely amazing. Um, uh, let's hear Charlotte's oh, first part one of Charlotte's interview. Charlotte, thank you. And this is going to get really confusing because we've got two <laughs> Charlottes on the call. How are we going to... Charlotte Dames, how are we going to differentiate on this call? How, we, how should we do it? I don't know. I don't... It's really weird that this is one of the few and rare interviews that I managed to get on. Now it's and it's another confusion. Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. You, you can Should call we, me Charlotte I, Felix. Call me Charlotte Felix. Charlotte Felix. Perfect. Perfect. That that's a that's a really good. Um thank you, Charlotte. Uh, Hill for joining us on the on the call. Uh, really excited about exploring uh, the work of the Felix project. But before we do that, help me under, understand a little bit about you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's absolutely lovely You're to be welcome. here. Um, so I am outside of the Felix Project, which we'll come on to talk about. I'm a mum of two young children. So my kids yep. are three and five. I am married to a primary school teacher who works in an inner city London school who is one of the most amazing human beings, inspiring kids to, to learn. Um, I'm an avid volunteer. So I volunteer at my local youth club in Peckham. I'm a South London girl um, okay. and love volunteering there. I'm also a mad sports fan. So I also sit on the board of EFL Trust. So all the clubs below the Premier League, um, you know, all the good the that, that football clubs do in their community. So that's a bit of what I do outside of work. Yeah, and it, I, I think, I mean, it's really interesting. One of my favourite interviews we've ever done on, on the podcast was um, a guy called Dougie Samuels, who's run, who runs a football club called Spartans up in oh, yeah. up, up near Edinburgh. And, um, uh, like, you think about, I mean, and, and the reason somebody, uh, a friend of mine said, look, you need to speak to Dougie, because he, during the pandemic, turned the football club into a food bank. Yeah. And actually got, got a, got, uh, an award from the Queen for doing amazing work and and stuff like that. Um, uh, but you, I think sometimes you underestimate the work that clubs mm. do in the community, right? It's outstanding what football clubs do. If you think about it's these tentacles that football clubs have all over the country, they're yeah. often in small towns and they are the beating heart of those towns so often. Yeah. And they do amazing work with young people around food banks, loads around health. So particularly, um, you know, men, a good example is around prostate cancer. Lots of men not don't check and the early signs of prostate out. cancer, but yet they go and do mm. prostate cancer, go in and do all these checks in football clubs, because actually that's where, you know, lots of the guys that they're really trying to target are. And it's amazing the reach and the trust 
trust because that badge, that football badge, has a huge level of trust for people in that community. Yeah. It's been part of their life for generation after generation it's a consistent thing in those communities and yeah football clubs do amazing work it's often really honestly it's really um underappreciated i think i mean i mean you have if i'm being perfectly frank you have hit upon a nerve because my doctor has been <laughs> trying to get me in for my over 40s health check now for about three years and i'm going next week right Good man. so so I'm like, I, 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 it's one of those things where you go, I know I should go, I know I need to go, I know yeah. it's the right thing to do, but should I just like push that down the road a bit? But you, yeah, you, you need to do it, don't you? Particularly, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm 46 in August, so I'm, I'm closer to 50 than 40 now, and it's like, yeah, looking after your health gets important, and that's uh, part of your life. Help me understand a little bit how you got involved with the football stuff. Um, so I used to run a charity called UK Youth. I was chief exec there for five years and it had a network of youth clubs all over the country, 7,500 youth clubs all over the country. And quite often youth clubs are embedded in more deprived communities, just like football clubs. Mm. And so yeah. I'd done a lot of work with EFL around twinning up um, football clubs with local youth clubs and looking at how we could partner together, how we could get young yeah. people involved yeah, yeah. in loads of the programmes that the football club were doing and so on. And I, at, at the time, I remember pestering them because they didn't really have any women on their board. And I was like, you know, you've not really, you've got a lot of people who are from a football background, but you've not got much broader diversity of thought and experience yeah, yeah, yeah. around that table. And anyway, so they invited me, this was eight, eight years ago now, so they invited me to join the board, and I'm so it's my last year next this this coming year. I'll have done my three three year terms. Um, but I, I I've always been passionate about sport, like live sport for me, mm. playing it or watching it. It's just it's such a powerful communal experience. To yeah, have it's emotive, isn't it? Hugely it's emotive. So, What's so. your sport of choice, and who's your team? Okay, I'm a Spurs fan. And okay. And I am, um, I love watching football, but um, to play, I'm more of a tennis player and a runner and, you know, um, golf player, really. I, I, I used to, before the kids, I was a very keen cyclist and golfer, but um, both of them take a bit too much time up for, for kids at the yeah. weekend. Yeah, but I'd, ima I'd imagine, I'd imagine does, does that like, come across with the kids? Are you quite an active family to get out and about quite a lot? My husband's family are insanely active. Like, I always thought I was pretty active, but um, Dave's sister has done various Ironmans and things. Dave's brother last year swam the channel completely unaided oh. by himself in in 12 hours. Like, they are they are that kind of level of active. So I always thought yeah, I was yeah, pretty yeah. good, but they're like another league. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a bit of a, I, I like to stay active, but I'm a journeyman active. You know what I mean? I'm just sort of, I do it for me. You know, <laughs> I just, I, I do it for me as, a, as opposed to anybody else. But, but yeah, I, um, I, I, I did the marathon for a local hospice back in 2022. Um, that's and um, that's, that's a yeah. proper, that's the proper, you know, effort. That's not a journey. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like it as well, to be honest, by the end. I mean, I did actually, I'll say 2022, it was 2020 and 2021, I did it. And, my, my, and I've told this on the podcast quite a lot. My favourite marathon story is going out for my training run in 2020 on the day the marathon got cancelled because of the pandemic. So I was out running and I do not disturb on my phone. 
And I got back, and I had a WhatsApp from my mate saying, you do realise it's just been cancelled. I was like, you could have told me about four and a half hours ago. That was, that was... And then, and then, because they cancelled, they did the, they ended up doing the marath- 2020 marathon in October. And then they, I think they set up a, a little bubble for the pro runners in, in, in one of the parks. But for amateur runners, they just tracked it all on an app. So yeah. you go for mm. a go for a run and you can track on the app. Um, so because we live east of London, Cassie, my wife, dropped me off over in Chelsea Bridge and I ran home. So I just ran through London home. Got to the end of the road. Um, and then realised um, that my uh, uh, my predict- prediction that, that I was going to be finished at the end of the road was actually about three quarters of a mile out. Oh. So so <laughs> so I had to run away from my house at that point and then yeah. come back. Not not, the, not great. Not You're great, running up all... and down the road for a long time. <laughs> yeah, true, true. So I tell mean, yeah. What? So what were you going to say, Charlotte? I mean, I get to be, like, roadside for a lot of these marathons that he does. And we sit sort of at the road and go, at the side of the road, waiting, keeping an eye out for him. <laughs> it's really entertaining just to, when he finishes, go, you know, you were outrun by all of the Teletubbies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the worst one, I think the worst one was the first marathon I did was but sorry, Charlotte, we will no, be talking brilliant. about the feelings. No, project. I love it. I, I, love I it. promise you. The the first marathon I did was Paris, right? Ooh. So I did Paris back in 2017. Um, and it was really interesting <laughs> because it was a great experience, but it where London's very enthusiastic, the Parisians are like, We'll just we'll just sit in a cafe and have a wine and just clap politely. <laughs> but actually oh, what you need yeah. is somebody really but well, I got to frustrated. Pro- because it's in the middle of their walk to home or their route to yeah, work. Exactly. Or... Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, yeah, it was funny because I got to mole 14 and um, my wife phoned me and just said, look, no pressure, take your time whenever you're ready. But just to let you know, we're at mile 18 and there's a man with a giant Eiffel Tower just run past. Where are you again? <laughs> um, so so oh, that's, like that's the journeyman bit. I get around, but not particularly quickly. However, so if you've got another we... marathon in you, one day we'll get you doing it for the Felix Project. Mm, I, I, funny enough, I think what I'm going to do next is do. Um, I think I think New York might be next for me. So I'm just considering that or the 100k through uh bike ride because it sort of starts in london so so i think that's probably going to be next year i do those but i'll uh i would certainly be in touch um <laughs> let's actually talk as we're on the podcast and talk about you charlotte <laughs> let's talk about the amazing work the phoenix project does tell us a little bit about that okay so the phoenix project was set up seven years ago by uh, two inspiring people, Jane and Justin, by I'm sure, because their son, Felix, very suddenly died. So he went um, off on a school trip, fit and healthy, and um, very sadly died. Um, and they said that they wanted to do something in his honour that would be the impact Felix would have wanted had he lived. And he was passionate yeah. about both food waste and food insecurity. He was a keen footballer, talking about football earlier. And yeah. he was really shocked when young kids would be coming and playing against him in football and they'd had nothing to eat. And so 
they brilliantly set up the Felix Project as a small project in West London initially. And our kind of aspiration is for a London where no good food is wasted and no Londoner goes hungry. So we rescue surplus food from every bit of the food supply chain, from farm gates, from distribution centres, from supermarkets, from shops, from restaurants, you name it. We sort that in four depots across London. We've got one in Enfield, one in Deptford, one in Tower Hamlets and one in Park Royal. Um, or we cook it in Felix's kitchen. So we produce up to 5,000 meals a day for people who don't have access to a kitchen. And then we distribute all of that out to 1,000 charities all across London. These might be homeless Lovely. shelters. They might be domestic violence refuges. They might be food banks. Basically, organisations who are supporting those most at risk or most vulnerable in our community. Um, we do that with 8,500 amazing volunteers who come and help us do that. They help us drive our vans. They help us sort the food. They help us cook the meals. Um, and we couldn't do it without them. I always think yeah. this is an organisation by Londoners for Londoners. Um, the thing that is heartbreaking in all of this, so we did 30 million meals last year, just to give you a sense of the scale, um, a huge, huge task. So those thousand community partners are all telling us they need more food, particularly because of the cost of living crisis. It's such a tough time. But what is, I find so heartbreaking and very motivating for us to do more is we've got 680 organisations on our waiting list who we can't currently provide food to. So that gives you a sense of the demand. There's but there's so a lot. To scale. Yeah, there is a lot of surplus in the system. And I was really, I, I was really surprised actually in terms of going to that event and understanding the scope and scale of the amazing what you do to fill that gap. But the fact that the gap's not even filled yet, you know, the yeah. fact that the, the it, it's such a such a huge gap. How much of what you do is is about helping people like me understand that this is a challenge? Because I think sometimes you're taking a uh, you sit in a little bubble and take stuff for granted, right? And and, yeah. and not understand it. How much how much how much how much of the work you do is just helping people understand that there's a gap there and and we sort of need to fill it in London. People are always flabbergasted on both sides, actually, both the environmental impact of surplus food. So globally, across the world, a third of the food that is produced is thrown away. That's mind blowing. And if you think of that food, all the energy that will have gone into growing that food, into packaging that food, into transporting that food. And then if it's thrown away, all of that, all of that environmental impact has been for nothing. But similarly, on the side of like the, the demand around food, it's absolutely flabbergasting how the dynamic and, and the, the kind of makeup of the people who need our support has changed over the last couple of years. So when we yeah. set up Felix's Kitchen, for example, where we turn surplus food into meals, we thought we'd be supporting people who were homeless, people who didn't have access to a kitchen. Now, increasingly in the cost of living crisis, we are supporting low paid Londoners, key workers who can't, yeah, afford, yeah. can't afford to turn their cookers on. It is really heartbreaking we just we did a YouGov um survey of, of low-paid Londoners and four in ten of them who were parents were already skipping meals themselves so they could feed their children yeah it's it's what, flabbergasting yeah what um, uh, and are you seeing that trend improve or just 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 the gap getting bigger Sadly not. I think it's not yeah. so front of mind for people because it's not winter now. I think people yeah. were thinking about, you know, in the winter, people have got the choice between heating and eating and all of that stuff. People are hugely struggling now. Um, yeah. I'll give I'll give you an example. I got an email from an NHS trust this week who 
were saying, um, is there any way you can provide food into the hospital? Because people are coming who we, we don't want to prescribe medicine to because what they need is food. What they need is, yeah. is they're, they're ill because they're not eating enough or they're having mental health challenges because they're so stressed about not having enough money to put food on the table. So we want to prescribe them food. And you think this is London, the greatest capital city in the world yeah. in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we've got people in work who, who because of with all, all of With food, also plenty of excess wealth, right? You know, yeah. like, like so there are people who are in a position where they've got enough money to help and support. But yeah. you know, it's it, yeah, it's it, it, it's the the gap the gap is um is is mind blowing, isn't it? It's just it it's just it's just one of those things. A couple of questions that like from what you've said just sprung to mind. Number one is the huge logistical job you yeah. must face every week. Tell me a bit about that. Do you know what? I am so proud of our organisation because, yes, it's an amazing community of people coming together to, to want to solve these problems, but we are an incredibly professional logistics setup at the heart of what yeah. we do. So those depots, we are inspected to the same food safety standards, food hygiene standards, health and safety standards as any other warehouse that's moving food around. Um, yeah, and yeah. so... We are run incredibly professionally, um, but yeah. you think about it, it's dealing with so much uncertainty. So my colleagues um, have to deal with the fact we've got uncertain food supply because it's surplus, so you never know what's coming every day. Yeah, we've yeah. got uncertain workforce because we're working largely with volunteers and you're supporting a thousand plus community organisations who are living in massive levels of uncertainty, dealing with lots of clients who have very chaotic and unstructured lives quite often. So mm. it's incredibly, um, it's it's, in, it's incredibly challenging, but honestly, I work with some of the best people in the world. I absolutely yeah. love it. They are people who could go and earn a lot more money elsewhere, but they come and work for Choose our organisation yeah. um, and are really passionate about what we do. But you know what? It's really interesting. that I mean, I, I speak because of, of the day job. because I'm, yeah. I'm a financial planner and I help people achieve financial independence often they get to the point where they've achieved financial independence yeah. and and they're thinking about what's next and the conversations we have aren't about money anymore they're about purpose yes. and i'd imagine that i'd imagine that a lot of the conversations you get to have with the people you work with is the amazing work you're contributing to right Exactly that. I always say to people, if you are in the privileged position that I am, which is, first of all, I have a job with such purpose, like I really genuinely feel so motivated in what I do because I've got purpose. And the other thing I have is agency. Like yeah, I, yeah. I've got a purpose and I'm I'm really empowered. You're in control. Exactly. You can, you can make choices. I yeah, can yeah, make yeah. things happen. Um, and both those things are hugely motivating. And you're right. Lots of people who come and volunteer at Felix are like chief execs or yeah. really senior people. You know, in East London, we're a 15-minute walk from Canary Wharf, our, our depot yeah. and, and kitchen. And the thing I love there is, is out of Felix's kitchen, everybody who comes and volunteers, we sit down together and we have lunch. We really yeah. believe in the power of food to bring the community together. Yeah. And, yeah. When, yeah. and when I sit there in East London having that lunch um, that's been cooked in the kitchen, I might have a volunteer sitting to my room. Right, who's a multi-millionaire from Morgan Stanley, who's come over from Canary Wharf, and I yeah, might have yeah. 
volunteer to my left who volunteers because they're on universal credit and they're one of our beneficiaries and it is like the melting pot of London bringing those yeah. people together mm. they on that day volunteer alongside each other at the Felix project you know you, you wouldn't know who the millionaire is um, and, and 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 I suppose the interesting thing is just engaging that dialogue to deepen understanding isn't it that that's a factor that I think we need to and back um, to your point, Chris, earlier, so many of the colleagues who, who are very privileged to have a really, you know, great life, yeah. they cannot believe, how, you know, how much people are struggling to, to make it. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what? I mean, this is one of the privileges of doing this podcast, actually, Charlotte. It's, it's been one of the things that's allowed me to have really interesting conversations to burst my bubble. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That that bubble you live in where you go uh, and and actually, you know, I think for, for me, gratitude is really important for what we've got. But just having an understanding of how tough it is for other people and saying, look, yeah. what can we do to help is... And, and and we do it through doing the podcast and promoting people, people's stories and stuff. Not when we had an audience of seventeen people, because we, <laughs> you know, we, you could have probably done that bet yourself. But now we've got a bit of an audience, we can we can do it. But yeah, it's really it's really interesting, isn't it? That element of saying, look, you know, just look outside, look look outside that little bubble. That little bubble feels safe, but understand what people are going through, and it might motivate you to 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 do something positive. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Charlotte. I promise you, darling, I'm talking to my Charlotte. You will definitely ask the next couple of questions. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I'm good. Bye. All right, cool. Um, we've talked a little bit about the logistical challenges. Tell me about the other challenges you face in, as an organisation. Yeah. So I always think of the Felix Project as a bit like a three-legged stool. And we've got to get the three legs to all grow at the same pace. Otherwise, it, it, it tips over. And our three legs are basically income, food and volunteers. And if right. we don't get those three things right, um, then, yeah, the, the stool tips over. So we've always got to make sure we've got enough volunteers. We've always got to make sure we are working with all of the different food supply partners so that we get enough surplus because we make a commitment to these charities that we are going to get them their, their food every week. And therefore, there's always that pressure of making sure we've got enough food. And also, as with every charity, our costs went up about 40% last year. Yeah. You know, we have got in our depots, we've got ginormous walk-in chillers and freezers, which have to be on 24 7 energy costs, yeah, yeah. Energy yeah. costs. We've got a fleet of 47 vehicles that drive our food all over the place. Those fuel costs have gone up. So we've got obviously got to get the income. Um the other thing that's always a challenge for us is, is because of the logistical nature of what we do, if you think those 47 vans, as it, for example, have all got to have their routes planned of where they're going to pick up food, where they're going to drop off food, where how they're going to get to the different community organisations, how many routes a day, all of that stuff. There is, is technology, how we best basically utilise technology to support a lot of those logistical challenges. Yes. Um, so all of those things basically have to come together. And then the other challenge for me always as a chief exec is, is how do I make the Felix Project the very best place to come and work or volunteer that it possibly can be? I want it yeah. to be a place filled with joy. I want it to be really like people, of course, come because they want to see the impact that we're having. It is a very yeah. powerful thing to know that someone's going to eat that night because of what you've done that day and that food is not going to get thrown away because you're there helping it happen. But I always want us to improve around like 
how do we make people happy? How do we make your culture in the place that people want to be? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, um, What have you done in that? So I I don't know where to start now because there's about, you said there was three stalls and I've got about 12 questions. Um, (laughs) Let's start with culture. So how do you make sure, um, sorry, the other thing the other thing that I get the privilege to do on this podcast is learn. So thank yeah. you for teaching me about <laughs> it. Um, uh, talk to me about culture and how you make it the best place to be. I always think the first thing is, is you've got to have a really clear vision of what you're trying to do as an organisation and a really clear kind of strategy of how what you are doing is helping to get there. So... Yeah. I think the first thing is, is getting a compelling kind of vision of where we want to get to and getting people excited about wanting to get there and then making sure everyone in the organisation understands what their role is in helping you get there and that every single person plays an equally important role. No matter who you are in, in the Felix Project, your part that you play is as important as anyone else's in getting there. So I think that's really important. I think communicating you know and it's something we can all get better at like letting people know what you're doing and why you're doing it and you know how decisions are made and all of those sorts of things I think is really key and I personally really always believe in putting your money where your mouth is as a chief exec don't ever ask someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself so I always try that get out and volunteer, get out in the vans, go down to the to the depot floor, um, go and do the marathon. Well, I'm not going to do a marathon, but like get involved. <laughs> like, for example, we're doing a, the, the Canary Wharf stair climb this year. So I'm going to get involved yeah. with, with the chief executive of Canary Wharf and we're going to do the stair climb together. Those yeah, sorts of things. Amazing. I think just roll and, into your sleeves and getting stuck in. And you've proven that because you've turned up to the interview today in the most amazing high vis. <laughs> We love. Thank you. Now, now, what 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 you don't know is for about 150 episodes of the Kindness Project, we've talked about high visits. Oh, there you go. Charlotte wanted to get me a high vis for Christmas. I almost bought. I almost bought him one for Christmas with like his own name on the back and everything. Love a high vis. Another one. I've got my name here. Perfect. I I mean, that's even better. That's even better, (laughs) Charlotte. Dames, would you like to ask a question? Yes, I have the next question. Um, so talk to us about some of the, the partners and how effective uh, partnership is in the work you do at Felix. I mean, it's- I mean when I, just to give a bit of context, when I look at the website, you just can't do this work without no. hundreds of collaborative partners, can you? hundreds honestly honestly everything we do is about partnership absolutely everything whether that's partnership with our food supply partners and genuinely they are partners a lot of them have been on this journey with us for the last seven years and we are part of their family and they are part of our family so our food supply partners not only provide us with their surplus food they volunteer so a lot of the co- the colleagues come and volunteer um they also often fund us and they yeah. often um, give us pr and comms and help us spread the word about what we're doing yeah. um and as i say they they year in year out are an amazingly important part of what we do and people are always blown away when they come and see what we do not just by the quantity of the food which is mind-blowing the depots are huge yeah. and filled with food but the quality so yeah. to give an example you know fortnum and mason are one of our longest standing food supply partners we pick up from fortnum and mason every single day and we get the most amazing produce from them and yeah 
it's incredible. So we've got all of those partnerships, but also obviously the thousand community partners that we take the food to are also a really key part because yeah. if we just gave the food out ourselves, we'd feed people for six hours and then they'd come back. What we do by working with those community partners is, is they use that food as a hook to get people in and then they provide them with all sorts of support. social support and exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, interesting. And interesting. so it's all about how they use that food to have amazing social impact. And so for me, they're like the most powerful magnifying glass of impact that the food could have. Because yeah. by giving them the food in a very consistent way, year in, year out, I often think of us a bit like a funder. Because by them not having to buy food, they can spend that money on another employability worker or another domestic violence refuge worker gotcha. or, or whatever it is gotcha. and and by consistently getting food from us week in week out some of them every day of the week um it means that they know that they don't have to spend that money on food they can spend that money on something else that means they can have more impact in their community so yeah absolutely um but is the end now. It's the end, the end of another podcast. podcast. At the end, the end is the end. There's always a thing in there, something. Now, is there. this a Reader's Digest? Okay, so we can expect um, a certain standard. Are you not making up your own joke this week? Well, the last one sort of came to me on the fly. Um, and I don't know if it's not a form of recording, but I had a little chuckle to myself right when I came up to it. You uh, haven't got a joke up. about Bagleton Curry? No, no, no. No, unless you can think of a bagels and curry joke on the fly, but I was not doing a bagels and curry joke. Go on just remind you, it's a podcast and we're recording live. Yep. So what? what's a joke? One time, <laughs> my father came home and found me in front of a roaring fire. That made my father very mad, as we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite good. On that note, ladies and gents... Have a lovely day, and Bye. we'll see you on the Kindness Project soon. Have a nice Bye. day. Have a nice day. Bye. <laughs>